The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, good morning, ACF Church. How are you guys today? You doing good? All right, awesome. Welcome. Glad that you're here. Um, Everybody that I seem to run into this morning is completely tired and out of it. So I don't know what the deal is. I think it's maybe this time of year where you're like, I got a lot of summer left. I need to pace myself, maybe go to bed before, you know, one or two in the morning once in a while. Some of you guys are out like king fishing at three, four in the morning. Have we caught any yet? Any king fishermen? Yeah, we got a couple people caught some kings. So anyway, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we're in a series called Blind Spots, walking through the book of Ephesians. And uh, it's been really good, you guys. This, this has been a challenging uh, book for me so far. And we are coming into the final stretch of this. We've got four weeks left. Of, uh, of Blind Spots, and we'll be into a new series. Really excited about that. So um, thanks, for, thanks for being a part of this. I hope you're reading. I hope you got uh, yeah, the book of Ephesians on kind of repeat throughout your week and uh, that you've been studying that at home. And if you haven't, I want to encourage you, make sure you grab a Bible and go home and just make it part of your weekly routine. Open up the book of Ephesians, read through it, and just ask God to speak to you in that. Uh, also, I want to invite you guys back next week. If, if you are married or if you're thinking about getting married, or if you know somebody who's married, um, pretty much all of you, I want to see you back next week. This next section of scripture is, uh, is going to be awesome. It's going to be really in your face, and it's going to talk a lot about what it means to have a, a healthy relationship. And so I want to invite you guys back, and if you have a friend, um, or a couple of friends maybe that uh, are struggling in their relationship, um, or maybe somebody who's thinking about getting married here soon, that's engaged, really encourage you, invite them next week. It's going to be a great week to bring them to church. And so um, if you want to grab a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can download the ACF Church app. We'd love for you to do that. Um, And before we get going too far, we also want to welcome all of our friends viewing online. Can we welcome them this morning? That was weak. That was terrible. Let's do it again. Welcome the people online this morning. Come on. There you go. Okay, so uh, here's the thing. If you don't know what's up with that, we are starting to put all of our messages out online, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's, just, it's an opportunity for us to, um, to continue to engage people with ACF from a distance. We have people who are on the northern slope, people who are deployed, people who are moving away or have moved away, and so we want to create a, a way for you to still stay connected with the ACF family from a distance, uh, and so this is just how we're doing it, and so every week, get used to it. We're going to welcome them. Why? Because it's really weird sitting on the other side of a computer screen, kind of feeling like you're engaged, kind of not, and so uh, we're so grateful for, uh, for our ACF extended family that's still part of what's happening here. So uh, this week, this week the question is, how can I be free? How can I be free? What does it look like to experience freedom? And what really is freedom? And this is a really good question for us to, to have an answer for, um, because I think a lot of people would describe freedom really differently. Um, you know, a- as a kid, we're grown up and brought up to start to kind of explore ourselves, create ourselves, become, you know, the, the, the best version of us as possible. And that means kind of, you know, just spreading our wings and, and, and learning how to, how to explore and do what we want. But at the same time, 
And there's sort of this collision because we learn at a really young age that you just can't do what you want, right? You, you can't do whatever you want. There are always rules. There are always restrictions. There's always things that get in the way of me doing everything that I want to do. And so I would ask you this morning, as we dig into this, how do you define freedom? What truly is freedom? In, in a place that we live in called, you know, the land of the free, we value freedom. We want to be free. But what does it truly look like for all of us to experience freedom? And, and does that freedom really mean that we get to do what I want, what we all want? And, and for me, that's kind of been the pursuit for a lot of my life. I just want to be able to do whatever I want at any old time. Right? That's kind of what I want to do. And so maybe you're, maybe you're even doing things so that one day you can have that kind of freedom. Maybe you got a job and you're thinking, okay, so when I retire, that's going to be when I'm truly free. When I, when, I, when I got that 401k all filled up, you know, and I, I got the, the money coming in and I don't have to work anymore, then I'll be free. You know? or, so, or so maybe like you've got kids and you're raising them so that you can be free one day. So like they're going to get out of the house and then I'm going to be free again. It's going to be all about me and I can do whatever I want. You know? Maybe you just bought a Jeep because the commercial had this guy that was driving up a mountain and he looked totally free, right? Just like him with the wind in his hair, driving a really nice Jeep through the mud. Like that feels like freedom. And, and I don't know what freedom is for you. But here, here's what I think it's not. I don't think it's us all doing what we want to do. It may not be exactly what we've thought it is. Because if we're all acting however we want to act, at some point, my expressions of my freedom are going to negatively, negatively impact your freedom. Like, my free will, my actions, my desire to do whatever I want are going to negatively impact your actions and your free will and your freedom. And so we don't really want to live in a society where everybody does what they want, yet at the same time, we personally kind of want to do whatever we want to do. And so we know this. We know that a society, when people do whatever they want, uh, is not a society of freedom. It's not a society of peace. We want a community of peace, a community of freedom. And so I've got a, a friend of mine, Officer Nelson. Is, are you around here somewhere? Hey, come on up. Hey, give a hand to Officer Nelson, would you? So I've asked him to help kind of demonstrate some of the struggle I have with this. And so he's going to cuff me, if you wouldn't mind. Um, you, haven't, you haven't read me my rights yet, which is, um, I don't know, like, I, th I feel like I deserve that, shouldn't I? It's for the movies, yeah. Yeah, I have the, thank you. Give him a hand, would you? Maybe, maybe a few more pastors should be given the right to remain silent, right? Maybe that's what we need. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> that's terrible, it's terrible. So here's the deal. As I look at the world around us, I feel like I could describe it really well like this. I'm free! Look how free I am! Everybody look, I get to do whatever I want to do. See, as I look around, I feel like I have all these friends and I see people all around that, that they, they claim to be free, and yet when I look at their lives, I don't see a lot of freedom. I don't see a lot of peace. I don't see necessarily like healthy relationships. I don't see them waking up in the morning, looking forward to what they do every day, going to bed at night at peace with who they are as people, feeling at peace with God. So I'm going to preach this whole sermon wearing these things, which is going to be really uncomfortable because I get a little claustrophobic in small spaces, and it, it turns out that handcuffs kind of give me the same feeling as well. But it, it's weird because... 
maybe you get this feeling too, where when you're restricted, you just want to break out of it, right? Where you don't, you don't like feeling like I'm being held back and, and restricted or, or restrained in any way. But here's what I want to propose to you is that true freedom isn't found in the absence of restraint. It's found in the presence of right restraint. True freedom is not found in the absence of restraint. It's found in the presence of right restraint. Here's what I mean by that. Can you guys remember back in the day when, like, nobody wore their seatbelts? Remember that? Remember, like, I still remember my dad had an 85 Buick station wagon with the wood siding that wasn't even wood. It was like a wood sticker. You guys remember that? And, like, it would get hot and it would bubble up, and so it just looked terrible. But it was totally the Griswold car. It was the, the wood siding, you know. It was a maroon top. And, and I remember I used to sit on the center console. My dad had a piece of Velcro. He would wrap around me, and that was my seatbelt. So... But I think back to those days, like now, if anybody ever saw that, they'd call Child Protective Services, they would have taken me away. Back in the day, it was like, oh yeah, hop in the back of the truck, we're going to the grocery store. Like, it didn't even matter. But I think we realize now, like, seatbelts are good. Restraints can be good. A, a life of freedom isn't a life without restraints, it's a life with the right restraints. I could say this too, um, I don't really like commitment sometimes. I don't like to commit myself, especially in the summer, when somebody's like, hey, I need to move next weekend. You want to help me? I'm like, oh, kings might be running. I don't know. You know, I might want to be camping. And so I'm the, uh, I'm the maybe guy on Facebook, right? Might show up possibly if I don't, which means like if I don't get some other better opportunity, right? And, and, and so this is just kind of how we work. We don't like commitment. But true freedom, I would say the same way, isn't the absence of commitment, it's the presence of right commitments. It's not the absence of commitment, it's the presence of right commitments. And you know this, when you've committed yourself to accomplish something, when you've committed yourself to a relationship, when you've committed yourself to, to, to getting through college, or, or to doing the right thing when it was really difficult, you know that on the other side of that commitment was a sense of freedom, wasn't it? was a sense of like, okay, I accomplished something and now I can actually, you know, extend and fulfill how, how I was supposed to live in, in a new way. And I would say it this way too. True freedom isn't found in the absence of a master. It's found in the presence of the right master. You won't have freedom without a master. We all like to be autonomous. Maybe your goal is like, I want to start a business so that I don't have a boss. And then any of you in the room who know that, you know, who have started a business, you know that like, it's not easy. And all of a sudden, the pressure is just, it's very, it's very difficult to start a business, to keep it running, to have employees, to be the guy in charge. Now you're sort of working for the customer. So you didn't ever like get out of that sensation that you have a boss. Now you just have hundreds of bosses, right? That you all have to keep happy uh, to keep your business going. And so I, I just wonder if in our, in our pursuit of, of freedom, we've kind of missed the point where we think freedom means I get to do what I want. You know, I get to live how I want to. No commitments, no master, no restrictions. That's truly freedom. I want to propose to you that that's not freedom at all. That what we're going to go through today is, is the way that Paul's going to describe a life, lifestyle that's going to promote freedom in your life and in the lives of others around you. And, and the whole first part of Ephesians was all about who you are. It was all about your identity. And so if at any point as we're talking here, you start like tasting religious uh, actions or you start tasting, this kind of feels like Brian's just trying to change my behavior or get me to act a certain way, just go back to the first half of Ephesians. Read the first three chapters. Remind yourself of who Christ is calling you to be, the new identity he's giving you, and realizing that this is all a response to that. 
that until you know who you are, none of this is going to make sense. Until you know who you are, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, this is just going to be like, yeah, I get it. Church people want me to be good. <laughs> they want me to be better. They want me to be a nicer guy. They want me to, be, to, 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 to make better decisions. That's not the point. The point is when Christ changes you, it changes what you do. It'll change your life. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you uh, for this opportunity to come together that, God, we can freely gather in your name here in Eagle River, Alaska today. God, I know that, uh, that we all have different perspectives on this today. Could we walk out together feeling a little bit more free, knowing a little bit more of what you call us to, um, God, and, and believing maybe in a little deeper way that, God, that your way is going to be better, that there's more peace and more hope and more joy to be found in what you say is freedom than what we have said is freedom. God, I want to pray for um, the man or woman in this room who's far from you, who's just searching for the truth, searching for what's right. God, that you could impress upon them how real you are. God, that they'd see something true and authentic in your church today. God, I pray for the believer in the room here today who desperately wants to know what it looks like to follow you. God, that we could be honest with ourselves, that you could help us look back, our, back look through our preconceived notions about what is right and what is good and, and see things through the lens of your scripture and then follow you completely, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be at, and we're going to walk through this, and I'm going I'm to talk about different ways that I think a life of freedom is actually lived out. And, and this may look a little different than what you've seen it, because again, I see in the world around us a lot of people who feel free who actually aren't free who are living in bondage to all kinds of different things. And I think that God has something better for us as his people. I think he wants to propose better options for us. And so let's start off with the first way to live a life of freedom, and that's, I believe, a life lived in love. A life lived in love is a life lived in freedom. Verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he starts off by reminding you that you are uh, image bearers of God, that he wants you to walk in the imi imitation or image of God. Now, I don't know if you know this, but that's how you created, that you look a little like God. God actually put his fingerprint on you, and when he created you, he, he stood back and he said, that looks a little bit like me. And I think of it like this, um, when somebody looks at me and they say, Brian, you're a little like your dad. I take that as a compliment. I love my dad. I respect my dad a ton. And when somebody says, Brian, man, you, you act a lot like your dad. You talk a lot like your dad. It feels a little bit kind of like coming home. Does anybody else get that feeling? Like when you get compared to your mom or to your dad, maybe, maybe you have a really good relationship with them. Um, if you don't, this illustration doesn't work at all. You're like, I don't want to be like my mom. This is terrible. Um, but for me, like I feel like uh, it works well because when I'm like my dad, I feel it's like it's a little like coming home. And what he's saying is, you were created in the image of God, and you will never experience more freedom and peace than when you act like your father. You will never experience more freedom and more peace than when you act like your father. And so he's saying, be imitators of God. My little boy, Grayson, I love him. He, he always imitates me, you know? If I put on a shirt that's uh, like a jersey, he'll go up to his room, change his shirt, put on a jersey. If I'm wearing blue shoes, he's going to go try to dig through his closet, find some blue shoes. It's just what he knows how to do. And so we as God's children are called to do the same thing. What does God do? How does he live? How does he act towards me? Let me imitate that to the world around me. 
And this isn't just any kind of love. This isn't, any, this isn't like loving people the way you love Taco Bell, right? Or, you know, or the way that you love that restaurant down the road. Whatever it is, like, this is a different kind of love. This is a self-sacrificial love. It says he gave himself up for us. This is a different kind of love. This is the kind of love that says not, not what, you, what, you, what can you do for me, but what can I do for you. It's a giving love, a sacrificial love. And that's truly a life lived in freedom in contrast to maybe the kind of love or relationships that you've seen around you. With the kind of relationships that are like, what can you do for me? And, and I would ask you, do those relationships look like freedom or do they look like chains? Do they look like people are walking around at peace or does it look like they're walking around in bondage? So he's saying a life lived in love, a life lived in sacrificial love is a life of freedom. The next one is this, a life lived in purity is a life lived in freedom. Life lived in purity. And he's going to get specific here. He says in verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as it is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is, who, or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. A drink to that here. This will be awkward. Here we go. That's fun. Cool. Okay. <clears throat> so that was a fun passage. How you doing? That was good stuff. So he's talking about a lot of. He's talking about how you speak, how you act. He's talking about your sexuality, and uh, he's, he first talks about um, he talks about impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk. Um, I want to I just talk quickly about why he kept, keeps coming back to sexual immorality um, in Ephesus there was a temple. And at that temple were things like temple prostitution. Um, there was, uh, you know, pornographic art. There was alcoholism. There was idolatry happening at that temple. And so if, if you're like, hey, Brian, uh, we just got it harder today. Uh, it's much more difficult to stay pure in this society that we live in. Listen, it was hard for the Ephesians. It was really difficult. This was what they did. It was where they went. It was in the center of their city. And so we have to look at this and go, okay, what is he calling us to? He wants us to rid ourselves of any, any kind of sexual immorality. He talks about impurity, filthiness, foolish talk. Now, foolish talk, it might not be what you think it is. It's not just to make silly jokes or to, you know, to, to talk in a strange way. It's literally to disregard God. And that's literally what, when the Bible talks about a fool, the Bible talks about somebody who disregards God. So he's saying, in your speech, in what you say, are you disregarding God? Or are people learning about who God is and how he relates to the world through what you say? Are they learning about the value of that girl or guy that you're speaking about by what you say? He talks about crude, crude joking or crude talking. And I totally get this. Some of you guys, uh, you know, you go to work, and it's just like a, like a switch flips. And all of a sudden, maybe you start speaking in ways and, ta you know, talking about things that you don't talk like at home or around other friends. And, and it's really difficult. But he's saying, are you building people up with your, with your speech? Are, are people valued by your speech? Are people learning about who God is? Or are they being, uh, being demoralized by what we say? Now, I first read this, and I, I simply thought about, like, four-letter words. I thought about cussing. Like, okay, he's just telling me not to cuss, and I get that. Um, I went through a season of life 
where, like, I mean, it was all I did was, was, was cussing. Like, I went to school, and, and like, there were these, this group of friends, and I, I learned that, like, if I wanted to fit in, I want to talk like these people, and so, like, it became an art form for me. It was a big deal. Like, my, my other friends were good at, like, soccer or basketball. I learned how to cuss, and I got good at cussing to the point that I came home one day, and I'm talking to my mom, and, and she got, starts going like this, and I was like, what's going on? And I had no idea. Have you done this? That like, you know, four-letter words are just coming out of my mouth, but I'm just, I'm speaking because I, I don't have control over my tongue anymore. And Paul wants you to realize, like, the, the tongue is powerful. And, and even the book of James, we talked about this a, a couple of months ago. He talks about the tongue as being a powerful instrument, a powerful tool, like something like a, like a spark that can set a whole forest on fire or, or the rudder of a ship that can steal a re, steer a really large ship. So he's saying, be careful with your speech. Be careful how you talk because it has the ability to either build people up or tear them down. So what does this look like in your life? Maybe you're like, well, Brian, I don't cuss a lot, but you gossip, right? You talk about other people's business and you talk about things that you got no business talking about, you know, just kind of tossing that out in the conversation, you know, or, or maybe for you, you've got the spiritual gift of sarcasm. I know some of you guys have that and I, and I get it because I love satire. I love sarcasm. Um, I have a lot of fun with that, but at the same time, um, if, you're, if you're a sarcastic person, you've had to apologize for a lot of things, haven't you? You've had to go back to that person and say, ah, I know, like that probably didn't come off right, you know, the timing was not quite right in that particular um, piece, of, piece of sarcasm. And so Paul is just asking you, would you consider what you say? And he's saying that when you are careful about your speech, careful about what you say, it's going to result in true freedom. But when you're not careful, it's going to result in a feeling of being enchained, being, being, being in bondage. That's, that's not what we want. True freedom is not saying whatever I want to say whenever I want to say it. And some of you say this, you're like, hey, Brian, I don't know what to do. I'm just the truth teller. I just say what I want to say. I can't help myself. It's how God made me. No, control it. Control it, and you're going to experience more freedom and better relationships. And so he's saying be careful of that. And certainly, he keeps talking about sexual immorality. I don't know what that is for you. Uh, it can look like a lot of things. Maybe today, uh, you're acting in a way, and, and you're like, okay, maybe there's a better way that's going to result in more freedom. You know, maybe in our relationship, you know, you're dating, and you've thought, you know, true freedom in the relationship is just to act out my sexual impulses however I want to act. And I don't know if that's really contributed to the health of your relationship or not, but I would propose that... that, that putting that to the side and saying, let's focus on who we are, let's focus on getting to know each other uh, better, and building the, 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 the relationship better is going gonna, is gonna to be a better way to have a healthy relationship and have more freedom in the long term. You know, maybe, maybe you've been putting off getting married for a long time, and you're like, okay, we've been living together for 15 years, it's time to actually just put the ring on it, let's do this, let's lock this in, and maybe that's you, you're like, okay, um, let's, let's draw some boundaries, let's kind of try to do this God's way, maybe believing that his way is going to be better. Now, I want, I want you to think about this. Uh, this is hard for people to get because we have the term free will and the term freedom. And I want to propose to you that those two things are not the same. Acting in your free will doesn't always result in more freedom. You catch that? Acting out your free will doesn't always give you more freedom. I want you to just think back to the garden. Think back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were told they could eat any plant. They could go anywhere they wanted to. Enjoy this beautiful place that God gave them except for one thing, right? Remember that? Don't eat of this one tree. 
So even in the garden, there was restriction. There was a rule. One rule, right? You had one job, right? Don't break this rule. What do they do? Break the rule. Because that's what we're drawn to, aren't we? Somebody says, don't do this, that's what I'm going to go do. You tell me, don't go over there, I'm going to sit over there. Tell me not to sit in this chair, that's exactly where I want to go. I mean, it's just, it's how we work. You know, we have to get back to understand, like, this is our, this is our sinful nature. This is, this is the, the sin within us that desires to, to feel like, you know, I can be God. I can, I can decide what's right and wrong for myself. I actually think that if I do what I think is right, there will be more freedom. And so growing up in our faith, like we talked last week about maturity, and becoming adults really means looking at all of our past and all of our story and learning from those things. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got a whole life worth of experiences that I can look at, and I can, I can use those as examples that um, my way is not always best, and that my way doesn't always result in more freedom, and that my way doesn't always give me more peace. And then I can look at other examples where I have actually followed what God says is best. I have listened to his, his way of, uh, of living and said, okay, God's standard is going to be my standard in this situation. And those situations are always full of peace. They're always full of hope. There's always more freedom and more joy in those situations. So if you're a believer here today, I don't know if you've been a believer t for 10 minutes or, or 20 years, it, it doesn't matter. There is something in your life that I think that, that where you've been living out your free will and God wants to give you freedom. You've been living in your free will and you're like, I can do what I want over here, but God wants to, to give you freedom in that area of your life. So Paul's just touching on some stuff. There might be other things, but he's like, hey, in your sexuality, there's more freedom in, in, in living out your sexuality the way that God, God wants you to. In your speech, whatever, whatever the, 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 the situation may be, there is more freedom in controlling your tongue and in building people up and giving life to people than there will be in just saying whatever you want to say uh, because it's what came to your mind. More peace in that. But then he gets to this part that gets really kind of concerning. Did you read that last part? He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immor immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Does that concern you? Because some of you are going, um, I did all of that yesterday, right? And um, you're like, in fact, I may do all of that tomorrow. In fact, if I can't cuss, I don't know what I'm going to say <laughs> at work. I just, I'm not even sure what we're going to talk about if we can't joke about what we've been joking about. I mean, some of you are like, I know what's coming. I know that I've, I've had this issue. But the difference is he's using terminology that is describing who somebody is. The sexually immoral, you know, the, the, the coveter, the idolater. These are all identifying terms. Now, there are those of you in this room who are still identified apart from Christ. You have not yet surrendered to the lordship of Christ in your life. And because of that, you are identified by everything that you have done and everything that you continue to do. Now, Ephesians makes it so clear that when you surrender to Christ, when you make him lord of your life, you now have a new heart, a new life, and now you're identified not by your sin, but by Christ alone. And as I talked last week, the difference is you're going to be convicted about this stuff. The difference is this stuff is not going to be um, a comfortable part of your lifestyle. And you're going to leave church today, hopefully, if you're a believer in Jesus, and go, there's some stuff that needs to change. There are some things that need to go away in my life. I need to have some hard conversations with my wife, with my girlfriend, with my boyfriend, with my coworker. I need to, like, change how I act when I'm around this group of people. 
I just, I need to, the Bible talks about that we are salt and we are light in this world and that the salt should never lose its saltiness. And I wonder for you, do you look like light and salt in your workplace? Do you look like salt and light in your relationships? Just think about it. What is it for you that you've settled for something less? A third way I think a living of life um, in freedom is is a life lived in the light. A life lived in the light. He says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. So he's talking about people who are false teachers, people who are deceiving you into thinking like, hey, Jesus loves you, do whatever you want. Go for it, because his grace is sufficient. You've missed grace. That's not what grace is about. Grace compels us to change. If grace doesn't compel you to change, you've missed grace. Grace changes our hearts. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay. Okay, so scripture talks about us in our pre-Jesus state as being in the dark or dead in our sins. So he's referring back to this. He's like, hey, you used to be dead in your sins. You used to be in the darkness. Now you are children of light. That's a cool, that's a cool title, right? Like all of you who are believers in this room, you are children of light. And he's saying, this is your privilege as children of light to live in the light, to live like those who have been changed by Christ. So he's challenging you. He's like, if you're children of light, live like those who have been in the light. Now what happens with the light? The light exposes the darkness. Now this is really uncomfortable. But some of you, you don't go to church that often because when you go to church, you get convicted, right? Or you don't open your Bible anymore because when you open it, it it says things you don't really like that much. And so what he's saying is when you're in the light, you're going to actually run to those things. And you're going to try to expose those things in your life. Maybe you're even going to ask people around you, like, hey, is there something going on that I'm not seeing? Because you're not comfortable living in the dark anymore. Now you are a child of the light. But here's, here's the thing. I don't think a lot of people live that way. I think a lot of people kind of go through their days. You know, maybe if I'm convicted about something, I'll change. But not necessarily pursuing change in our lives. Um, my wife, Amanda, she, uh, she, she got from her work, she got, went to this Christmas party, and they got her this gift. It was like a, like a car, um, car care kit, you know, like an emergency care kit. Have you guys seen those? It's got like jumper cables and some like, you know, cheap tools in there. And then it had a, a flashlight, but it wasn't just any flashlight. It was a solar-powered flashlight. Have you ever seen these? I didn't even know those existed. It's a solar-powered flashlight. So I'm like, well, that's fine. Like, of course, threw it back in the bag and then put it underneath the seat in the car. You know, then months later, we're on the side of the road, or I can't remember what the situation was, but I needed a light. So I go back to the car. I'm like, I know where the flashlight is. Open it up, pull out the light, flip it on. Nothing, right? Completely worthless. So so don't invest in the solar-powered flashlight company. But the whole point was like, where had it been? Hidden underneath the seat in my car. Of course it's going to be dim or not work at all. So here's the the thing. As, As a believer in Jesus... I think that a lot of us maybe have the light of Christ in us, but we're not super bright. 
Like, we are not really a, a shining light in the, in the world around us. So here's what I'm going to say. If you want to be bright, you need to spend some time in the light. And I did make that rhyme on purpose. So if you want to be bright, you need to spend some time in the light. Here's what I mean by that. If you want to be somebody who actually reflects the love of God to the world around you, if you want to actually know the peace and joy and forgiveness that Christ has for you, what you're going to do is you're going to spend some time with him. You're going to be around him. You're going to, you're going to be around his people. You're going to make space in your life to, to grow, to be challenged. You're going to be in the light so that you can be light to others. Let's, let's read on here. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The, the fourth way to walk in freedom is in wisdom. It's in wisdom. He says, don't walk, he says, walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. There's that word again, disregarding God. Do not be foolish, but understand what, is the, will, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so wisdom. I think a life of wisdom is a key to true freedom. Now, again, you might want to just do what you want to do. You know, just put the blinders on and, and continue down the road that you're on today. Leave church. Act like nothing happened. You know, act like you never heard this and just keep going down the road that you're on. But Paul's saying, listen, it's time to live in wisdom. And wisdom simply means this. Wisdom see, is to see beyond what's in front of you into what's true. It's to see beyond what's presented to you into what's true. It's to be wise. It's to consider things on a deeper level. I've got some friends, and, uh, and they've got really old cell phones. They're, they're, you might know these people, in fact, when I say that. They're the only people I know that have Motorola flip phones still. And so when you send them a text, like, you may never hear back. They might send you a picture text, and it's, like, really pixely. So you're like, I don't know if that's, like, a, a selfie or a grizzly bear or what is that you know because they're just super old but th this couple specifically they're so inspiring to me because um, years ago they sat down and they said okay so smartphones are coming out um, a lot's changing technologically and they, they, they said what's going to be good for us as a couple do we need this in our life is this going to be good for us not for anybody else not judging somebody else's decision but for us as a couple is this going to help us to love God better and to love others more and to love each other well. Like, is this going to help us to be engaged with each other? They decided, no, this isn't going to be good for us. And so, to this day, they have these super old cell phones. I think, finally, they just signed up for, for Facebook. They finally got their first Facebook account. And they wrote, like, a whole covenant of what they were going to do on Facebook to protect themselves so that they would make good decisions with this technology. So, I don't know what this is for you. Like, for me, I just see new te technology, and I'm like, here's my wallet. I'll take three. Um, I just... I'm going to try, it's shiny, it looks cool, I want, I want the newest, latest thing. But for them, they were like, no, I want to I pull back from that and simply ask God, what do you want in our lives? And I don't know for you to be wise about what you do, to be wise about the things that come into your home, that come into your, into your, into your mind. Be like, hey, um, there are certain movies that maybe aren't good for me. And I used to think that they were okay, but now I've realized they affect me in a negative way, and those don't need to be in my life anymore. Um, maybe you've got a smartphone that just needs to go away, you know? Maybe it's a super, it's a big temptation to be staring at it instead of actually connecting with your friends or connecting with your wife or actually looking at the amazing mountain that's outside. So maybe you're like, I'm just going to get rid of the cell phone. I don't need that in my life anymore. 
I don't know whatever else it is in your life that you need to actually just draw a boundary and say, I want to be wise. I don't want to just take what's fed to me. I actually want to make a good decision for myself. So life lived in wisdom is a life lived in freedom. Uh, number five is this. A life lived in worship is a life lived in freedom. It says this. He talks about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So apparently worship is a key here. Worship is a key to freedom. Now, this is hard because when you worship, you're literally saying, I'm not God. Now, that is the exact opposite of, I get to do what I want. So there's something about worship that combats our propensity to feel like we should be able to be the gods of our lives, to make all the decisions and make the choices based on our own terms, and to say, no, God, I want what you want. Your way, not my way. And I love that he talks about doing it in community. Worshiping community. He says addressing each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's something about worshiping as a community that is really important here. I don't know if you, uh, like we're going to worship in a minute. We're going to stand up. Uh, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing together. And, and as we sing, I don't know, like on any given week, I would say there's like a, a certain percentage of you that are so into this. You're like, oh, Mason's playing guitar again. This is the best guitar I can do with my cuffs on. Mason's playing guitar again. You know, I love it. It's awesome. I love the music. And then there's a percentage of you who are like, I don't really get why we're singing. Um, why are we doing this? This really is important to me. I'm not really a, a music kind of guy or girl. I don't get into this. And there's another percentage of you who are like, my child may be crying downstairs. Do they need a diaper change? What's going on? I need to go check on my kid. So like, what if the whole gathering, like this entire community, when we sing here in just a few minutes, you just stopped and you fully engaged. And we as a community together said things about God that are true, about his sovereignty over all things. We, we gave up our control to God. We talked about how he wants us to go from the darkness to the light, from dead to alive. What if we all just said this stuff together, spoke it together, sang it together on a consistent basis? I think there'd be something that would happen in our hearts. There is something about communal worship that is powerful. Now, you might be like, I worship, Brian. I go home. I flip on my K-Love, you know, and, you know, I shut the door in my bedroom, maybe I'll raise a little hand or something like that, you know. Like, I do it all at home. I'm just kind of private. But this is not how worship was ever created to be. It's always been for community. Guess what? In heaven, you're not going to worship alone. You're going to worship in community with, with, with people. And so you might as well get used to it here, right? You might as well just get good at it right here because you're going to do it for all of eternity if you're a believer in Jesus with a lot of people around you. So time to throw the pride out the window, right? Time to throw the insecurity out the window and just worship God. And I think, I think miracles are going to happen, you guys. When we just say, God, I want what you want, and we do it as a community, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be amazing. I'm going to close out with this last one. A life lived in freedom is a life lived in submission. Now that's countercultural, isn't it? That is the opposite of the free will that we think will give us freedom. You know, if I simply do what I want, get what I want, if I can get all of you to serve me, that's going to make me feel free. Look how free I am. And this is what I see all around. I see marriages that look this way. I see relationships that look this way. I see 
you know, working situations between bosses and, and employees and coworkers that look this way. It's all about how do I get myself up the next rung of the ladder instead of how can I help the people around me? This is so countercultural. He says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for, so the motivation for your submission to somebody else's needs is not how awesome they are. It's not how good of a husband he is. It's not how great of a wife she is. It's not how good of a boss he is. It's not how great of a teacher she is. It's out of reverence for Christ who saves you that you submit to others. This is so different. This is different than what the world says to you. But this is where freedom comes from. This is where healthy relationships come from. This is where peace comes from. And it doesn't make sense. And again, I want to invite you back next week because this is just the launching pad for where we're going in the next part. Um, so read ahead, by the way, uh, for next week. But I, I, uh, I was reading, and uh, one scholar called this a revolutionary subordination, which I like that term. He called it a revolutionary subordination. Like when people start doing this in a community and they do it together, it revolutionizes their community. It revolutionizes their relationships. And you've been there before if you're in a marriage or in a relationship where it's always, what can I get for myself? Has that felt like peace? Has that felt like freedom? Again, Paul is trying to get you to see this is the only way to freedom. This is the only way to peace. Can we get Officer Nelson back up here? Because I'm so sick of wearing these stupid things. He's driving me crazy. I, they're kind of chafing a little bit too. I should have put on some baby powder or something. How do, you, how do you do this, man? It's just uncomfortable. Do they make you wear these in training for like a little while and just get used to it? No? On and off, on and off. Appreciate it. It's hard. Hopefully we don't wear yours. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Thanks, man. Give him a hand, would you guys? Appreciate it. I called him up. I was like, hey, do you want to cuff your pastor this week? He's like, I don't get asked that often. Yes, yes, I do. I'd like to take you up on that offer. So, hey, thanks. Thanks for protecting and serving us, man. So, anyway, you guys, listen. I want to close with this. We all have something in our lives that we thought would give us freedom and instead has given us only bondage and broken relationships. You've got something. It's not helping you. It's not going to give you peace. We live on earth today. And I spoke a little bit about heaven because this is where things are going. One day, everything on earth will be in full submission to God. Think about that. One day, everything on earth will be in full submission to God. And in that day, the world for the first time will know peace and joy, happiness, and freedom. That's when it's going to come in fullness. Now let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian and you've, you've, you've said, I have submitted this stuff to God, and you've got things over here that you have yet to submit to his authority. What will give you the most peace? I want to tell you, anything in your life that you have yet to submit to the power of God, to the will of God, that is the area of your life that is lacking peace. That is the area of your life that's lacking freedom. Now, you might convince yourself that, no, Brian, like, I'm just, I feel like it's okay. I feel like it's not hurting anybody. I feel like I'm just making a decision that, you know, I feel like it's going to be best. But again, I want you to just think about it. If in eternity all things are in submission 
to God, wouldn't it make sense that we would start now? Wouldn't it make sense that as we look at our lives and we see things, okay, this part of my life is in full submission to God, but this over here is not. Over here, the things that are in submission to God are giving me peace. And it's not always easy. And it doesn't take away the struggle, but there is, there is peace and there's freedom over here. Over here, there's turmoil. And there's wrestling. And there's discomfort. And there's part of me that's like, this doesn't feel okay. In all of eternity, everything will be in this category. There will be nothing on earth that will not be in submission to God. Everything will be in submission to God on earth. So it makes sense that we would start now. So what is it in your mind? I just want you to identify what that thing is. What is it that God wants you to let go today? What is it today that you've held on to, that you thought would give you peace and freedom, that has not provided what it claimed it would? Let's bow our heads together. Would you just close your eyes and just envision that thing? God, I, I just confess that I know that I've believed the lies. And God, that I have trusted in my own ability to determine right and wrong way too often. That I've believed that a life without restriction is a life of, of freedom. I've believed a life without commitment is a life of freedom. And a life without a master is a life of freedom, God. But you are, you're offering us something better today. So, God, I want to just pray for my, my brothers and my sisters here. God, that you'd give us the, the determination and the desire to seek life change. God, I pray it wouldn't come from uh, a desire to be religious or to just get better, God, but we, it, would be, it would come from a place of, God, of gratitude for what you've done in our hearts. Now, it's not that we have to change. God, we know that it's not by our works or our good deeds that we are saved. God, thank you so much that it's that we get to change. Because you saved us, because you love us, now we get to be transformed. We get to give you things in our lives. So God, I want to pray for everyone in the room that we could all let go of one thing today. That we could all, we could all make intentional decisions to put our entire life in full submission to you. God, and that we would believe that there will be more joy and more peace more happiness as we trust you with those areas of our lives. God, help us to grow up. Help us to, to, to believe that you have better things to offer. God, help us to look at our stories and our past and our mistakes and to remember, God, that you've been there through all of that, offering us better things. God, today could, could today be the day that we reach out and we take it and we receive it and that we're changed. God, so empower us, fill us with your spirit. Help us to be in full submission to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, love you guys, thanks.